Lord God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the heat in here. And I thank you, Lord, for Dave Marvin and Sean coming to uh, get that going when it was uh, not quite working. And Lord, uh, we pray that you would be with us as we open your word, as we open the catechism and discuss uh, these teachings uh, that, that have been put down by uh, Christians, faithful Christians, and used to teach so many generations of the faith. Lord, we just pray that you would be with us and uh, with uh, anyone else who's hearing these words after the fact. We pray, Lord, we would be blessed by uh, the discussion and blessed by opening your word and, and uh, thinking about where it intersects with our lives and how we can live uh, lives of obedience. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're on question 51. Just to make sure I was on the right thing, I like listened to the last class in March, early March, and man, I was all over the place with, I'm going to do this next week, we're going to talk about this next week, and then this is going to happen next week, and I never said, if the Lord wills it. Oh. And so this all might be on me. Um, so we're, we may or may not touch on all those things, but you don't remember what was said in uh, March, uh, early March of 2020. So uh, let's just, we, we were in the, it got to the Ten Commandments. We've been going through the Ten Commandments. We've gotten through the first three and we had popped the top on the Fourth Commandment. In fact, let's, everybody, let's do the Ten up, up through this point, up through four. Remember the, you remember these, Calvin, from camp? You know them in Lutheran order. Yes. You know, there's a thing about a rebellious son in the Old Testament law. <laughs> All right. First, number one, one finger up. Lord, your God is one. No, that's the Shema. Oh, she should have no other gods before me. All yeah, right, yeah. one God's, I have no other gods before me. And with two, you go down and make the knees bowing. You shall not bow down, make any graven images. You shall not bow down before them, etc., etc., etc. We're really going quick because we're short on time. Three was you put them together, put them to your lips. Don't, you know, maybe don't touch your mask. They tell you not to touch your mask a lot. Um, yeah, Sean, you at home, you can do it. Uh, never take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, and then four, you get these guys down here and they are, they're coming to church. They're each wearing a mask, you guys. Don't worry about it. But they're, they're coming to church. Uh, that is, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So, uh, we talked a good deal about that in uh, the last couple questions, but in, in question 51, we come upon the question, how is the Sabbath to be sanctified? So we get to the nuts and bolts of it, and this is the interesting, I think, discussion, because this is where people were taught all sorts of different things, uh, and a lot of people haven't challenged what they were taught. A lot of people have thrown it all out and started over. It's a, it's a fascinating uh, discussion to have. So let's together read the... That was Aaron opening a Diet Coke. Um, <laughs> let's together read the answer. Uh, how is the Sabbath to be sanctified? The Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day, even from such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days, and spending the whole time in the public and private exercises of God's word, except so much as is taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. Yeah, I kind of flubbed that. It's God's worship, not God's word. Uh, you guys said it right. So the whole time, the whole day, not in worldly employments and recreations, even those that are lawful the rest of the week, but all of the, the Sabbath, 
and of course, what is in mind here is the Christian Sabbath uh, today, uh, the first day of the week, uh, is to be kept in these ways. Any, anybody go by the letter of this uh, in their in their life? I, I, I admit that I do not either. Um, and let's talk about what it means to be a Christian who has freedom in Christ, but also uh, not throw the fourth commandment out the window. Uh, and I think there is an awful lot of room to, to be both. Uh, so I, I said, uh, as you'll recall, last time we were together in early March, uh, that I don't love the term Christian Sabbath. I think it brings too much uh, theological baggage with it, and we don't have any... New Testament uh, precedent for that. I think it's there um, in part. It's prominent today in order to kind of push back against Sabbatarians uh, who would insist on a Seventh-day Sabbath, a Saturday Sabbath, like a a Seventh-day Adventist, for example. Um, No, the Christian Sabbath is this. And in principle, we do see that this day dedicated to worship does shift from the last day of the week a day of rest, looking forward to the rest that will come in Christ, the Messiah, looking forward to the first day of the week, now a celebration of looking back to what Christ has done for us and how it pushes us into this next week. So there's a sense in which, yes, it fills that role. But I mean, first of all, the word Sabbath means... Saturday. I don't know. I'm just going for it. She's just... She's just keeping... <laughs> I haven't said anything in class. Albuquerque, snorkel. Carol Wendelson, I haven't talked in so long. <laughs> Uh, it means seven, seventh. So when you're like, well, the Christian seventh day is the first day, that's a little boom. Hey, it's Pastor Zach. I got to take a second and just kind of interrupt myself here uh, because I have to walk back what I just said. Um, kind of as I said it, and definitely after the class, I thought to myself, that's misleading. And basically, what's the word I'm looking for? Wrong? The words for Sabbath, uh, Shabbat, and uh, seven, which is pronounced Shevah in the uh, super Gentile pronunciation we were taught. Um, They're not exactly the same, certainly. You can tell just by hearing me say them. Um, This is the kind of stuff that happens when your formal Hebrew education started 20-some years ago and ended 15 years ago. Even when you try to keep up on it, things start to muddy. But what's going on here is that uh, words in Hebrew generally uh, have a a three-consonant or triradical root. And in this case, the first two consonants are the same between... Uh, the, the word for Sabbath and the word for seven, but the third one is different. And it's quite common for people to present these as related words, closely related. I'm not sure how closely related they are. A lot of linguists think that it's possible that uh, these Semitic languages used to have a biradical root and, and then they kind of developed from there. Uh, and it is possible that these words are, are related. And if they are, we don't know if they come from the same root, or if the word for seven came from the word for Sabbath, which itself means, you know, a a rest. Or I pulled out some of my old texts and did a little reading on this, and some people make a case for um, the the word for seven coming from like an Akkadian root wouldn't be related at all. So I think you want to just kind of take with a, a large grain of salt the idea that Uh, A good reason not to call Sunday the Christian Sabbath is because there is a connection with seven. It's by no means certain, and if there is one, it may go the other way, uh, that the the word seven comes from 
uh, Sabbath. And not, it, it seems very unlikely that it goes the other way around, uh, that calling something the Sabbath implies that it's the seventh thing. So, you know, we got to admit when we were mistaken or we misspeak. And uh, I did both. I misspoke uh, in that I didn't mean to say that the definition of the word was seven, but rather I meant to kind of tease out that the Uh, come from the same root and are related. uh, And uh, it's possible that that is true. Maybe it's not. I probably shouldn't have brought it up at all. I'm going to untime us out now, Zach Morris style, and uh, continue with the class. I prefer the New Testament word term, which is the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is the, I I don't like Sunday because, you know, all, all of our days are named after like pagan gods for the most part. And uh, I don't. I don't want to come rushing in here on Sunday. Uh, I mean, I use the term. I don't avoid it. But whenever I think of it, I say the Lord's Day. We're not here to worship the sun god. We're not here just because it's the weekend. We're here because it is the Lord's Day. I went a little weirdly fundy there for a minute. I apologize. I'm going to rein it back in. Um, <laughs> in the Greek Orthodox Church, they call Sunday the Resurrection Day. Each week, not just on uh, the week that they have their Pascha, their their version of Easter, where they celebrate, you know, the yearly festival. But each day in their in their week has a different emphasis. Monday is the Holy Angels. Uh, Friday is the cross. Um, Saturday is All Saints. And Sunday is the resurrection of Christ. Why? Because the resurrection of Christ happened on a Sunday. That's what made it the Lord's Day. That's what can actually make some discontinuity with this eons of worship and rest on the seventh day and cause Christians to then begin making their primary gathering on the first day. Uh, I think it's also worth thinking about the fact that each little Sunday being a little Easter doesn't count toward the 40 days of Lent. So you do the math and you're like, uh, okay, so we have this many days uh, until Easter. Why are we far ahead in, in Lent. We, we, sh- we need to correct. No, you don't. Don't count the Sundays. Each of those you come together, it's not a fast day. This tells us something about what we're doing when we gather together. It's not a fast day. It's a feast day on the Lord's Day. We're going to have the feast this morning in our worship, uh, and it is going to be awesome. I'm so glad we're able to do this again, but it's, it's a day of worship, but it's not a, a day to be approached, oh, got to do the Sunday thing again resurrection. It is uh, a day that that is not a day of mourning. In fact, even in a season of mourning, it stands out as this day of triumph. Uh, It is the Lord's day. Uh, And I think further evidence that it is the day for the church now is that Pentecost, that day when the Holy Spirit came down upon the church and the tongues of fire and the speaking in tongues and the thousands coming to faith, when the church becomes the church, I believe, uh, is on a Sunday. And then as they meet weekly, uh, they continue to meet on that Lord's Day. It seems like the early church uh, did keep the Sabbath, uh, to some degree anyway. We don't read about a big, uh, Jesus had lots of Sabbath controversies. We don't read about that with the church. What gets them booted from their uh, communities and and put out of their synagogues is other stuff. Uh, It seems like you often find them even in the temple worshiping on the Sabbath uh, and then gathering in each other's homes and and, uh, perhaps having the Lord's Supper on on the Lord's Day. Uh, And so we have, you know, some continuity, some discontinuity uh, between the Old Testament and the the New Testament. 
But the proof texts that you'll see in your Baptist catechism there or in the Westminster Shorter Catechism are generally going to be Old Testament proof texts. So what we have to do is look at those proof texts, see how they applied then, and then talk about how they apply now after the paradigm shift, new covenant. I mean, after we split time B.C. to A.D., uh, we, I don't think we can just say, well, it would be convenient uh, that we followed these rules from this question and answer because of this Old Testament verse from the law when, you know, you can keep reading in that same book of Leviticus and you're going to run into laws you're not keeping and you don't want to keep. Uh, so let's look at some of these verses and let's, let's discuss them. Um, and, and let's see, you know, what, to what degree is there continuity? Is there discontinuity? There's, there's extremes. There are those who would say, there are many who would say, um, Heck, even uh, Wayne Grudem, uh, who's uh, quite a solid theologian, um, I think I told you this before, he made a video. He was good friends with the, when I worked for Family Christian Store at the corporate office, he was good friends with the president of that company at the time. And he made a video explaining how the fourth commandment isn't binding now because it just sums up all the ceremonial stuff. All the stuff that went away. The eating shellfish, the you know not having a cotton poly blend shirt, the long, you know, tassels of your beard and your garment, all this stuff. It just sums it all up, and that was done away with. So forget the fourth, and all the other nine are reiterated in the New Testament. So don't you worker bees worry about this. Uh, luckily, my boss uh, was in my department uh, in IT, was a, a minister as well, and he was very kind and let people who, who did not feel that they could work on Sundays, he let, he let them not work. Um, but then the other extreme is you got to keep every aspect of it. There are people who are, are Christians that believe in Jesus and they're trying to avoid more than, you know, a Sabbath day's journey and they're preparing the meal the day before and all this stuff. And part of that's just, you know, Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists love crockpots. But maybe some of it also is uh, I don't want to have to work on that day because I want to be able to focus on worship. That's good until it becomes legalism and it flips it on its head where we're created to serve the Sabbath uh, instead of the other way around. Uh, open up to Leviticus 23.3. This is a pretty vanilla laying out of what it means in the Old Testament to keep the Sabbath. Just checking for a boy still with us. He's there. Yeah. Calvin wants to read it? Aaron just pointed at you. Let's hear it. Uh, this, this third? Yeah. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy con congregation. You shall do no work. It is the Sabbath to the Lord in your dwelling places. So that gives a couple of aspects here, right? The rest from work, a solemn rest, a holy convocation. NIV says a sacred assembly. So we're not working, but we are gathering for worship. And this doesn't just happen in a public uh, gathering, corporate gathering setting. It's in all your dwelling places. Um, so we see public worship here, offering praise and worship to God, hearing the word preached, uh, talking uh, about what the word means and taking part in prayer. And then we also see, uh, of course, the Christian would add 
taking the sacraments as well. Uh, and then we also see private worship. And on, oddly, this is, for me, this Sunday becomes one day that I don't take part in much private worship. I'm here for Sunday school, I'm here at church, I'm preaching, and then I'm coming back. I love coming back for men's group where we do open the word together, but that again is, it's a more intimate setting, but it's still public worship. It's not uh, just me and my Bible. Um, But uh, I've usually watched a movie by the time I close my eyes. Uh, Maybe I should have taken that time to open the word and read just for me, not for feeding others. I don't know. So uh, this is one of these uh, situations where, I mean, I think there's room for different people to have different views. And there may even be room for different people to rightly keep it in different ways, depending on how they're wired and uh, how into the word they are the rest of the week. Um, But that's what the Puritans would have said. And picking up on that, this is what uh, the early Baptist, particular Baptist, and Spurgeon himself uh, puts into the catechism. Uh, in all your dwellings, family, family worship on the Lord's Day. Does anyone think that sounds unreasonable? It's okay if you do. I mean, no one's going to lash out at you. To go to church after you've gone to Sunday school, to go home and have lunch, and then say, okay, time to have church at home. I would say unreasonable, but I didn't, it's not something that I grew up with, and so it does feel a little, um, it just, it feels like a lot if you're doing that, and then you're also doing church at night, and yeah, it feels like, um, I don't know, it just, it feels like a lot. It it doesn't always feel restful. Mm. Now, I think that this would have been nothing but normal for much of Christian history, especially the Puritans, especially the early... Like, I mean, Calvin would preach for, on average, like four hours total on every Lord's Day. Uh, The reason that pubs exist, and maybe I'm repeating an urban legend here, but I think I got it from Michael Horton, uh, was (laughs) that... Uh, it started with this sense of we need somewhere, it's not why pubs exist, but like why they became so uh, proliferated in, uh, in England. It's because in between uh, the early service and then the evening service, people would go to a public house and eat and they would talk and uh, they would uh, discuss the, the word as it was preached that morning and things. Uh, and so I think that for us it's a little bit foreign. I wonder about any modern kids like enduring that and if they did the moment they realized that it was within their power not to these days they probably would go to the other extreme and be like forget church i just got a whole extra day of the week i'd be worried about that a little bit at the same time i think that a lot of our um refugee friends this is their reality on sunday Mm -hmm. they absolutely spend the whole day much of it together um and, and like days that we would have as very private family things, it's right. always here, huge. Or it's at someone's house, Christmas, but it's still a worship service. Yeah. Yeah, I remember going to it's always a worship like a birthday party, and they were like, all right, well, now Pastor Zach's going to get up and give a little sermon. And I remember thinking, no one asked me to do this. Their <laughs> assumption was, we're all gathered together. Of course we're going to hear the yeah. word. Um, maybe we're going to have the Lord's Supper. Definitely we're going to sing songs, and we're going to pray at length. 
uh, because it's a birthday and it's a party and we're the church, we're the body. Um, I am, I kind of covet that uh, in a good way, the good covet. Um, in, in preparing a message today on the unity of the church, uh, I was reading a lot of stuff, um, a lot of the sermon illustrations on uh, some of the sources I go to were about how isolated we are. It's not the direction I'm going with the message this morning, but about how the more connected we get, the more isolated people feel. And I think in a community like the Chin, who used to worship in this building, or the Nepali who still do, or the uh, kind of Pan-African group that we have uh, that meets right in this room right after us, that is, they don't have that isolation. They have the connection online and stuff, but they still have the, the connection in person. And it's maybe because church is so important, uh, maybe that at least makes it easier for the Christians. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, and, you know, honestly, I mean, just to be uh, really authentic, I mean, being authentic is super 90s, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, we don't have enough family worship in our home. We don't open the word enough together. You know, everybody's so very busy and there's places to go and all these things. We ought to do that more. Uh, and uh, I think that Sunday would be no different from any other day uh, in, if, if the t- practice is to, to open the word together. Uh, it does not leave this uh, fourth commandment just wide open for interpretation. It is the first positive commandment, right? It doesn't say not to do this, not to do that, not to. It says, remember, command, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But then it's followed with this very low-key clause that explains what is forbidden and why. Now I say, hold on, I'm making, I'm making the eyebrows if you, if you can't see me. I say low-key because in Hebrew, low is the first word of the next sentence, which means not. So it, after telling you do this, remember, it says don't. It tells you what not to do, what is forbidden. And then key means because, and verse 11 begins with key, uh, Exodus 20, 11. So it tells you what is forbidden and why, low-key. That is some, like, that's Abba humor, which is Hebraic dad jokes. Um, <laughs> hey, Sean Lang. So we, we do get uh, further explanation, as, you know, is not unusual in the giving of the law, but the ten are often pretty tight and succinct. Here, it's a positive command, but it has the flip side under it. So someone open to Exodus 20. And uh, just read for us, because it's been a while, uh, that fourth commandment. Sean, you want to do that? I think I, I think I have you turned up. Ready? Yeah. Remember the Sabbath day by, day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay. That makes it quite clear. I mean, it gets into real specifics, right? And hopefully no one here made their maidservant do anything this morning. 
or their oxen or, or anything like that. I mean, it, there, there's no wiggle room to say, well, I didn't do it. Your household is actually keeping this Sabbath, observing this Sabbath. Um, the way Christians have interpreted this in the tradition, the, the Puritan tradition here, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism in question 61 asks, what is forbidden in the fourth commandment? And the answer is the low part. Uh, the fourth commandment forbiddeth the omission or careless performance of the duties required and the profaning the day by idleness or doing what is in itself sinful or by unnecessary thoughts, words, or works about our worldly employments and recreations. That's a lot. That sounds to me like depending on where you are in your uh, sanctification, it could either be a crushing heavy weight of law or it could be very, it also could be very freeing for you to go, oh, that's right. God wants me not to excessively think about the emails in my inbox today. I'm, I've got a, I got a day to not do that, that God gave me. Yeah. You frame that as, I don't have to do this today. It's more positive than, don't do this today. I wonder why God didn't think of that with the Ten no, Commandments. You don't have to murder each other. I'm, I know. This is the cute riffing that everyone comes to Sunday school for. They forgot about it except for a few. But you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that's what Jesus says. He says, this was for you. You didn't understand that. It was for you. Uh, and, and here, I mean, in the Westminster Shorter, we have omission and commission here. So sins that you commit... By doing things on the Sabbath, doing work, uh, thought, word, and deed, you're putting yourself into the work of the week, um, or even recreation, acts of recreation, um, worldly recreation, or acts of commission, uh, where you are, or rather, or acts of omission, where you are failing to do what is required. Now, when we looked at that Leviticus 23, there was omission and commission there. Don't work, and... Holy Convocation or Sacred Assembly. Both of these things. Go to church. Don't go to work. If you wanted to boil it right down, um, except for works of necessity and mercy, uh, what does it look like? Do you think there is a place for kind of a, for a Christian today to break the fourth commandment by omission? Meaning failing to do what is commanded. Well, yeah. 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 What would that be? I mean, like, not take worship seriously. Like, okay. You come to the Lord's table on the prayer board, mm. and you know, you, First Corinthians tells us what happens. But it's more dramatic with that. So I think that would fit right with that. Uh, Sean, I don't know if you hear that. Could you hear that? I could not. No. Okay, Sean. Uh, Sean, Alex said uh, not taking. Uh, worship seriously, and he gave the example from 1 Corinthians of uh, coming to the Lord's table in an unworthy way, and then he called Paul dramatic for uh, describing how people had fallen asleep, gotten sick and fallen asleep. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great example. Um, you, uh, there's <laughs> the, the uh, questions on the questions. We've talked a little about, about, about these, uh, catechism for your catechism. Uh, often called Fisher's Questions or the, the Shorter Catechism Explained. James Fisher, a uh, Scottish Presbyterian minister writing in 1765. He took each question and answer and made a bunch of questions and answers to clarify them. This is the kind of thing that I love. Uh, he talked about drifting off during worship. 
which he called the evil of drowsiness, particularly in hearing the word or joining in prayer or praise, he said it is, quote, a manifest contempt of the word and presence of the great God and paying less regard to him than we even do to our fellow creatures. There may be something there. Although I think these days when I find myself talking to people that are looking at their phones, that we are also showing manifest contempt of the presence of our fellow creatures, but we should, we should do better for God. Um, of course, an act of a sin of commission on the Lord's Day, if we believe it is still yet sin to not take one out of seven and devote it to rest and worship, would be to just work, 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 even if it's not an act of mercy or necessity. Uh, and I know people who've done it, and they have all, at some point, said, this doesn't work, whether it's after the you know uh, panic attack or just kind of a slow burn. Um, the, to me, these, these categories are helpful, but I think the specifics, we have to check each one against God's word. And not just say, oh, this is what the catechism says. Obviously, this is what we're doing here. This is why we're not just reading these things at home and accepting them completely. Um, when we get to this notion of works of necessity and mercy, Jesus referenced that, right? Like, won't you even pull your donkey out of the well if he falls down in a pit or something? Um, what, what are some examples of that in our world today? Well, any, any sort of um, charitable or... Um you know, service type thing. Like I know sometimes you guys, uh, your men's group, you'll go and do something to help somebody. Yeah, homeless and, angels is always Sunday. Yeah, that'd be working on a Sunday, but you're doing it in order to help somebody else. Mm-hmm. So that'd be an act of mercy. Yeah. What about necessity? I mean, if your employer requires you to work some Sundays, employer... that's a necessity, isn't it? So I think there's job. two categories here. There's Sam's category, which is somebody's... <laughs> Right, yeah. Well, I'm Sam's. Uh, uh, now, if you want to steal Sam's identity, we're helping you out. Sam works for Sparrow Hospital. Uh, Sam's employer requires her there because sometimes people's hearts need to be operated on on the Lord's Day, and the you can't just say sorry. We'll do it tomorrow. That's an act of both necessity and mercy, I think, because you're yeah. saving a life and you're helping. So, so there's that. Those are the easy ones, I think. We yeah. say doctors, yeah. nurses, uh, even you know. Um, Obviously, police officers. There's, there's, there's people who are just required because they're needed. They're before essential and not essential was a thing. They were the people we all knew were very much essential. But then, yeah, your employer requires it. You've got to feed your kids. Yeah. Say there's a single mom, and there's just necessity. I've, I've got to, got to go to work. Um, and the notion that God is in heaven shaking his fist, it doesn't comport in my mind with the character of God as we see in scripture and as, as the perfect representation in Christ is there saying, you know, remember when David went in and ate the consecrated bread because he was kind of needed to do, he was hungry, he was, people were starving. Um, it just doesn't, it doesn't fit for me. Uh, Fisher um, said, I'm going to do this in a Scottish accent. I'm kidding. Yes, no, I'm not. <laughs> he said that these are the acts of necessity. Uh, and mercy, flying from and defending ourselves against an enemy. How often does that come up? So you know, it's Sunday morning and you've got to fly from an enemy. Then he catches you and you have to defend yourself. Quenching of fire accidentally or willfully kindled. 
standing by the helm or working a ship at sea, provided they do not weigh anchor nor hoist sail from harbors or firths on the Lord's Day, and the like. (laughs) You know, stuff like that. How would you like to hear an old-timey sermon illustration? I feel like there's not any demand for it. I'm going to move on. All right. One Lord's Day, as a man was passing through Hayworth, Yorkshire, on horseback, his horse lost a shoe. He applied to a blacksmith who told him that he could not shoe a horse on the Lord's Day without the minister's permission. Lord's Day is hyphenated both times, which I find charming. They went together to William Grimshaw, the minister of the place, and the man satisfying him that he really was in haste going for a midwife, Grimshaw permitted the blacksmith to shoe the horse which otherwise he would not have done for double pay. I love the guy's devotion. I hope the midwife got there in time after this little like ad hoc committee meeting had to happen. Uh, certainly that is an act of necessity. Uh, and even in such a, you know, a town, this is like the tiny town from Footloose, only instead of dancing, it's like shoeing horses. But even there, they said, well, yeah, you, you have to do this. Uh, and I think, you know, Mark 2, 27 The Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And as soon as you find yourself going, oh no, I can't get gas because it's Sunday and it leaves this taste in your mouth, you're doing it wrong. It's it's meant to free you. It's this this is freedom for us. This is a, a beautiful thing God has given us. I mean, we read Matthew 12, this whole, there's so many interactions. We could just read it. We could spend a whole Sunday just reading, Lord's Day, just reading interactions between Jesus and his adversaries about the Sabbath. And each and every time he's on the side of, it's not bean counting, keeping laws and rules. This is a gift from our creator. That's huge. I don't think whether or, you know, whatever you do with the fourth commandment and the 10 commandments as a unit and how they apply and stuff, I think you got to get that or you miss the mark. Um, Jonathan Edwards, the great Jonathan Edwards said, and I'm going to say this in a super high voice like his. No, I'm not. Works of mercy and charity are very proper and acceptable to Christ on this day. They especially become, oh, they especially become the Christian Sabbath because it is a day kept in commemoration of the greatest work of mercy and love towards us that ever was wrought. That I hadn't thought of. What a great day to do something kind and merciful for someone because it's the day we commemorate Christ doing something kind and merciful for us. Uh, another, uh, I think it's Fisher again, or it is Alexander White. I think, no, it's Alexander White who defines mercy as making collections for the poor, feeding your animals, moderately feeding and caring for ourselves, caring for the sick, etc. That is an odd one. Moderately feeding and caring for ourselves. Who here has memories of big Sunday dinners or loves them, right? Like, Is it possibly talking about, like, if this is a feast day, you're not, like, overdoing it? In moderation, Possibly, to the point where you're but the context here, I think, is <laughs> you eat what you need to get by. That is the necessity. Okay. Um, and it might smack of popishness if you had a, you know, some big, oh. I don't know. Um, the idea of it being this austere and solemn thing. Now, there is something solemn about uh, the Lord's Supper when we take it. There's something solemn about opening God's word. But the whole thing is joyful. And I don't know how 
You know, if, if Sunday is anything, it's the day that we especially feel the presence of the bridegroom with us. And a day when, when uh, during Lent even, we kind of break the fast. Uh, and it ought to be a day, I think, for us to express our joy. No problem with having a big feast, although if it requires a ton of work on someone's part, maybe we should rethink that. Um, you know, there, there are the huge nine-course meals, unless that's how Grandma relaxes. And that, and that does bring up other issues. You know, what if something that looks like work or is work to most people? You know, a guy who's a mechanic and he works on cars all week, if he works on cars on the Lord's Day, he's probably breaking the Sabbath. Whether that's on Sunday itself or whether maybe he's required to work on Sunday for emergency things. So he takes his Sabbath on Monday. Obviously, I'm working on Sunday. Um, so that's clear. But then what about the guy who's retired and the way he just kind of clears his mind, or the guy who works a really stressful job all week, or the woman who does, and then on Sunday, he's like, I just like to get in my garage, pull the tarp off that, you know, old Chevy I'm restoring, wheel up under there, and talk to God, and fix this thing. Like, is that breaking the Sabbath? See, yeah, I want to talk about, that's kind of like with the recreation yeah. stuff. Yeah, well, worldly recreations, I think that would count. Anything that's not spiritual itself. There may be, there definitely is, cooked into the Puritan approach to things that, that Spurgeon himself even was drawn to. He called this the Puritan's Catechism, uh, a bit of a sacred-secular dichotomy that is maybe a little bit, a little dusted with Gnosticism. Of These things are secular, so why would we do them on the Lord's Day? These are worldly. Uh, and Maybe if we had to spend our whole week making candles and shoeing horses and stuff, and that wasn't quaint things people did for fun uh, and paid to do, um, then we would get that too. But yeah, I think that, you know, what about taking a, a relaxing bu bubble bath? That's not moderately caring for yourself. That's, you know, treat yourself, right? Uh, so where does that all fall? If rest is part of the point and you've been to worship... And you're, before you, you know, you're thinking about God and you're in prayer, but you're also in recreation. Oh, what a great day for a bike ride is yeah. Sunday afternoon. I, I love it. Is that worldly recreation that's got to be? Well, and it makes me think, too, of like sort of a time past when a lot of families would have that where their kids couldn't play with friends or they, they couldn't do certain things where like all they were doing was sitting around and like sort of forcing them to not be out running around because that was too active yeah. or whatever, which seems strange because that's a way that kids rest. They school. rest by running? From okay, yeah, yeah. So it's like yeah. one big recess over the yeah. weekend. Yeah. Or even like if you had a job where all week you're sitting at a desk in front of a computer, maybe being out working in your yard is restful to you. Like to not be doing that thing, to be moving, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think that Jesus' take on the Sabbath makes it abundantly clear that these things aren't sinful. Uh, and Jesus himself being every which way accused of breaking the Sabbath for things like healing, which is an act of mercy, breaking off and this, the act. But then even other, what are some examples of maybe Jesus defying those categories, but still uh, being accused of breaking the Sabbath? Was he ever accused of breaking the Sabbath for teaching him? Don't believe so. Okay. I don't know. 
Maybe let that percolate a little bit. Do you have one in mind? Maybe I do, maybe I don't. All right, well, maybe percolate, uh, let that bubble uh, over the week, and we'll, we'll pick that back up. I do oh, want to... Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Carrying his cross? No, that was fine. Shoot. Yeah, and Simon did it for him, so... Yeah. Now, I want to I drill deeper into um, the, these acts of recreation, but first, I think we have to acknowledge how weird it is that the Westminster Shorter Catechism says that idleness is forbidden. On a day when you're to rest, rest but don't be idle. idleness, and I mean, most people's Sunday, right? Lazy Sunday, uh, is uh, that's a idle day. That is, if, if, if your day of no work is just a day of idleness, you are not keeping Sabbath because there's two sides to it. And the principle, whether all the rules around it continue or not, I will go to the wall that the principle of one in seven as a day of rest and worship holds, if that is the case, then yeah, you can't just rest. Uh, you, you actually have to, to move beyond that. In fact, uh, here's what Bishop Nicholson said, to rest and not to sanctify is to keep the Sabbath of an ass. Uh, so that's, that's a, it means donkey, Calvin. <laughs> that's a pretty colorful uh, accusation. And I think we want to make sure that we don't fall into that. I hear a lot of times, I would be at church, but it's my only day off. And I say, okay, well, you're not saved or not based on whether or not you are at church or whether or not you're uh, logging in to take part in the worship uh, during the, all this stuff. But the fact that it's your only day off is thanks to <laughs> what? A tradition going back into the Old Testament and even to creation that says you have one day for rest and worship. So that's why you have this day off. That's why weekends exist. I mean, it's not why people value them now, but that's why you've got it. So use it. But that also like indicates an attitude of, I feel like coming to church is work, or I feel like it's not beneficial to me or restful or anything like that, uh-huh. which is maybe like you want to figure out like, why, do you, why does this person feel this way? Because it should be something that you want that you want to do, yeah. Not something that you feel you have to do. Yeah, and I feel antsy, antsy on a Sunday if I'm not at at church. Not because of guilt bubbling up from a fundamentalist background or something. I don't have one, but because of just that's where I ought to be, and that's where I want to be. And so when I'm not, like Alex will tell you, when we were driving back from Chicago on a Sunday morning. Um, I was all out of sorts, wasn't I, man? <laughs> That's a whole other uh, story, though. Um, yeah, and if we're truly in love with this God, and you know, David said, I'd rather spend one day in your house than thousands elsewhere. And we're going, well, I could be in God's house today, but it's my only day to sleep in. Our worship is at 11, so you can still easily come. If you're sleeping in past 11 and you're not working a weird shift, come on, buddy. Uh, so this is, I think, a bit of a litmus test, a bit of a, a check on our heart. Do we want to be in the Lord's house? Why and why not? Um, that's, that's important stuff. Uh, so what are the reasons behind these things? That is, I think, the heart of the matter. Not just what does the Old Testament say, and what do we want to believe in the New Testament? But what are the reasons? Because that helps us to start to, 
to uh, bridge the context between old and new. Uh, the, the Westminster Shorter question 62, the next one after the last one we read, what are the reasons annexed to the fourth commandment? Answer, the reasons annexed to the fourth commandment are God's allowing us six days of the week for our own employments, his challenging a special property in the seventh, his own example, and his blessing the Sabbath day. His challenging a special property, a propriety rather, in the seventh. So he's saying a special sense of, okay. uh, of honor okay. bestowed on that, on that day. Um, I think some of these are undeniable, and we have to recognize them as continuing to the end of the world and maybe beyond. Uh, first of all, God owns 100% of your life, gives you 86% of it to work, and fool around and scheme and think about stupid nothingness and then says, okay, give me that 14% for resting because I made you to work and to rest and to worship. Doesn't sound too crazy when you think about it in those terms. Second, it is a picture of the rest we have in Christ. And if we have that rest, uh, it ought to manifest itself in our lives. Uh, the Sabbath demands respect. Many people have pointed to the stoning of a man for gathering six sticks on the Sabbath as proof that Moses was cruel, when in fact it's proof that the Sabbath is very holy uh, in the Mosaic law, and uh, it's a serious thing that we ought to, even God, did God need to rest? Was he tired after six days? No, but he rested on the seventh day. He blessed it, he made it holy, sanctified it. Uh, so we have God's example as well. The notion of Sabbath does predate the Mosaic Law. So when we talk about how the Mosaic Law and its ceremonial aspects no longer binds us, that doesn't get you off the hook for Sabbath entirely. Uh, it's not meant to be a heavy yoke, crushing people, but the most ancient symbol of freedom ever given. So why is it encoded in law? Because we reject freedom. Because if you give people just pure freedom... They'll just go nuts with it. You've got to give them direction. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, I think that's why we see all the ka, 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 ka at the end of all the words there in, in verse 10. Uh, that's the suffix that says yours. So it starts with Eloheka, your God, just as your God rested. So your servants, your household, your animals even. You, and and when, as you read it or hear it read in, in Hebrew, it's, it's got a weird rhythm to it. It's, it's going in there saying, everything that's yours, God's given you, and this is a day in which you kind of acknowledge that. And you give back in praise, you give back in rest. I think, I think the notion is we just need a firm hand to keep us from, from wasting this gift. You know, if you give a seven-year-old 50 bucks, he will squander it on candy. If you give him 50 bucks and say, let's talk about what you can spend this on, should we save some, should we tithe some, is there some big thing that you've been wanting to get? Well, then you can help him enjoy that gift. And I think that's what the fourth commandment does for us. It, it helps us to enjoy this gift. Uh, Fisher, uh, again, writing in 1765 and still right on point, uh, he says, what should we rest from on the Sabbath? And this is going to bridge us back to these recreations here. Even such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days or which is the same thing from all servile work. Somebody open up to Nehemiah 13. 
Uh, we'll see what it looks like to have some revival in Israel after the rebuilding of the law. And uh, there are a, a few pericopes there, some episodes of uh, clamping down, coming down with the, the hammer of God and discipline on God's people for disregarding the law. And one of them here in uh, Nehemiah 13, 15 to 23 has to do with Sabbath keeping. You got it, Aaron? I got it. Give it to us loud. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates, that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, Why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. I then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O oh my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Of course, those Levites were working as guards, but... Yeah, right. that was a necessity. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what if possibly somebody's household uh, buying fish was a necessity? They didn't have anything. Well, you'd think that someone would share with them because it's the Sabbath. My question is, in that passage, is there anything about recreation? Does it seem like the emphasis is on not enjoying yourself no, on the Lord's it's Day? It's, it's on not continuing to work, in this case, commerce. Uh, one passage people have pointed to uh, as proof that, that it goes as far as, the Old Testament uh, observance of this goes as far as uh, recreation is Isaiah fifty-eight thirteen. Uh, and actually, I want to go into verse 14, so I'm going to look it up rather than read it off of the 58, 13, and 14, which says, good grief, pages are slippery. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own way, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So here, keeping the Sabbath in entails uh, not seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, but taking delight in the Lord. Uh, I think that doing as you please and, and doing your pleasure maybe has less to do with feeling pleasure, enjoying yourself, you know, um, 
eating a meal, a good meal, or, or uh, obviously rest itself is enjoyable, but it has to do with just doing whatever you will, treating it idly as if it's any old day. Uh, just like we want to take the Lord's name in vain, taking this day in vain for nothing, just for eh, whatever. Um, even if what we see here is you have to avoid conversation and activities that are primarily for you to enjoy them uh, for pleasure, and instead you've got to enjoy the stuff I've told you to do, we have to then stop and say, what is the difference between the Sabbath in the church and the Sabbath uh, under uh, Mosaic law, national laws, and ceremonial laws that no longer apply to people who are uh, under the new covenant. When we go back to Genesis and the uh, institution of the Sabbath, it is a rest from labors. Plain and simple. A rest from labors. Uh, does this mean a kid should try not to have to do homework on a Sunday? Probably. Yes. Uh, and does it mean that if you've got a bunch of documents in your briefcase, because I guess it's like 1987 and you're bringing documents home in your briefcase, uh, that you should try not to have to pop that open and spend several hours working on the Sabbath? Yeah, probably. Um, does it mean that you are judged and condemned if you've got to work on the Sabbath? Of course not. The words of Jesus uh, blow that apart. What is forbidden is that which is done for our worldly gain, profit, and livelihood, apart from acts of mercy and necessity. Exodus 34, 21 says, Six days thou shalt work, but on the seventh thou shalt rest. In shearing time and in harvest thou shalt rest. So even when it's, you know, hey guys, I'm a CPA and it's the first week of April. All right, it's harvest time. Plan. <laughs> I mean, make, build that into your life. That there would still be, even in harvest time and shearing time, built into it a day of rest. And that can be hard. That can be really hard, but it's worth doing. The old Puritan writings about this stuff get a little pharisaical. You can't grind grain because in the Old Testament they couldn't beat manna uh, on mortars on the Lord on the, the Sabbath. So we can't grind grain. But you can dress meat. Because in Luke 14, Jesus partook of meat prepared on the Sabbath. So now we're, we're beginning to make extra rules around this beautiful freedom that we have in the fourth commandment. Did Jesus want us to make legalistic rules based on each and every occasion? <laughs> no, of course not. Uh, and so I think that as we approach the Sabbath and how it should be kept, uh, we want to focus on the spirit of the law and be leery of anything that is uber letter of the law centric. Meaning, unless it would be a sin for you in your conscience uh, to get gas, don't worry about it. Um, you know, when you go to Israel, the thermostats go into Sabbath mode before sundown on Friday, so there's no way to adjust the heat because they're keeping you from breaking the Sabbath by pushing buttons. Um, there's Sabbath. Norma Chandler, the late Norma Chandler, told me this story like three or four times that her oven wouldn't work and the guy who came and fixed it was like, oh, it was in Sabbath mode. Like it had this, this thing in it where on, on uh, Saturday or Friday at you know, 5 p.m. or whatever, it would just shut down. Um, and the notion that pushing a button, moving a small load, 
gardening, if that's not your, your vocation, but an avocation, something you love to do, um, throwing the ball around with your kid, going on a bike, whatever, it really seems in my mind to turn what Jesus did with this, a gift for us, into a heavy yoke. It's not what he was about. I want to probably put a pin in it here. Next time we're going to talk about travel uh, and see that uh, kind of a case study in that of how absurd these Sabbath rules can become. Um, and then uh, I want to talk a little more about deeds of necessity and mercy. And then we'll move on to what is the fifth commandment, which do you remember what it is? Yeah, there you go. It's good you remember that one, son. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for a chance to come back together like this and to open the catechism. Lord, we pray that you would guide our, our reading of your word, that you would help us to be uh, both reverent of, of these writings that have guided so many Christians for so many years and also Berean about it, to search the scriptures and to make sure that these things are uh, what, what we find there. And, and Lord, uh, we, we pray that these helps, uh, these, these helps to our piety and our Christian life uh, would be something that, that we interact with, that we are in conversation with, that we're in conversation with each other about. And Lord, at the end of the day, that we would find ourselves better equipped uh, to keep your law, to, to live uh, lives that glorify you and please you, and uh, to grow in our faith and our sanctification. Uh, we pray that you'd be with us uh, as we head into uh, our worship service and gather around the Lord's table. And Lord, we're thankful that we can do that as well. We pray that you would continue to keep us safe and healthy uh, in the midst of all this. And, and Lord, help us to continue to be wise. In your holy name we pray. Amen.